This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Coming up, it's income tax season. A Canadian tax expert and best-selling financial author drops by with tips and advice for Zoomers. And... Over 12 million Canadians do volunteer work and expect nothing in return. Zoomers who volunteer will tell you they receive more than they give. To mark National Volunteer Week, we'll look at exactly who volunteers and why. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Hundreds of people in the town of Plonsk gathered to mark the 70th anniversary of the founding of the State of Israel. The Polish town is the birthplace of Israel's first Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion, and the crowd marched to a square named after him. Before World War II, half the population of Plonsk was Jewish, but few remained after. The celebration comes amid strained relations between Poland and Israel over a law that restricts speaking or teaching about Polish complicity during the Holocaust. We're one step closer to a national pharmacare plan after a parliamentary health committee tabled its report recommending the program. It's based on testimony from 99 witnesses over two years and concludes that universal drug coverage will save money and lives. The government is waiting another year to hear from an advisory panel led by former Ontario Health Minister Eric Hoskins. Older South Koreans are putting on their dancing shoes and flocking to the country's nearly 1,000 daytime discos for 1960s and 70s music hits and a great way to socialize. Just like old times, the dance floors are decorated with lights and mirror balls hang overhead, but some things have changed. The best-selling drink is now a probiotic yogurt. A playground for seniors? A city near Houston, Texas is looking into converting land into a new park for active seniors in their community. It will include an art and meditation garden and exercise stations. The plan has been given the green light by the Jersey City Council and is now being studied further. It's the end of an era for Queen Elizabeth after the loss of her last purebred corgi, Willow. The dog had been suffering from a cancer-related illness and was put down at Windsor Castle. Palace sources say the Queen was hit extremely hard by the death, more so than that of her other corgis, probably because Willow was the last link to her parents. Willow was one of more than 30 corgis she has owned since 1945 and the last survivor of the Pembrokeshire Welsh corgis she's bred since the Second World War. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Zoomers are well-practiced in filing income tax returns, but this year there are a lot of changes to remember, especially in the areas of caregiving and medical and disability claims. I got the details from Evelyn Jacks, who has written over 53 books for consumers on tax and wealth. Coming around to this time of the year, we've got a number of tax changes, and specifically for people who are claiming medical expenses, disability tax credits, and a new Canada caregiver amount. We also have some changes for students. Uh, Their parents are going to be disappointed to know that um, the education and textbook amounts have disappeared uh, on the return. So we've got some limiting factors that's going to make a difference in how much you're going to get uh, on your tax return. Let's start with the uh caregiver tax credit. That's something that CARP, a new vision of aging, was really agitating for and advocating for. What does it involve? I think there are three credits that have kind of been merged. That's correct. What we have now is a Canada caregiver credit. And the best way I can describe it is it's a mini credit of $2,150 for your infirm children. That's minor children under the age of 18. Um, A maxi credit of $6,883 for infirm adults over the age of 18. And if you have a spouse that's infirm, it could be a combo of the two depending on the spouse's income. So I'm not necessarily sure that this combined credit has made things uh, easier uh, for taxpayers out there. So a credit, first of all, a lot of people are confused between a credit and a deduction. So please clarify that and uh, tell us how it applies to the caregiver credit. In the case of the Canada Caregiver Credit, it's a non-refundable credit, which means that you have to be taxable in order for it to have any benefit for you. That's opposed to a deduction which reduces taxes payable, but also might increase refundable tax credits, such as the Canada Child Benefit, as an example. When you get a deduction that reduces your net income, it can increase other credits on the tax return. So if you're not taxable, then the Canada Caregiver Credit will not help you. There's also a disability tax credit. How does that work? Yes, again, the disability tax credit is a non-refundable tax credit, um, but it's a very important one because it can be transferred to a supporting individual. So if you are actually not the person who is disabled, then you may be able to transfer it, especially in the case of your spouse. That's really important. You have to have a marked restriction in your daily living activities, and that has to be verified by a doctor on a Form T2201. And so you must have that signed by the doctor, and the credit is $8,113 this year. Um, In addition, for some conditions, nurse practitioners can now sign the disability tax credit certificate, and that's effective March 22, 2017. So hopefully that means that you can get the form signed more quickly than having to wait for an appointment with your doctor. We see people miss it when progressive diseases get worse, for example, cancer or Alzheimer's. In that case, do go back. Even if you didn't qualify last year, you may qualify this year. 
in 2016, we had a new credit called the Home Accessibility Tax Credit, and it's 15% of $10,000 spent. So up to $10,000, it's a federal credit, and it allows you to claim things like the widening of doorways if there's someone in a wheelchair or uh, putting in hardwood floors, as an example. And here, you can double dip because you can claim the Home Accessibility Tax Credit on Schedule 12 of your return, and in addition, you can claim the same amounts as a medical expense. So that's one that that many people missed. And again, if you did, make sure you adjust your tax return. Okay. What else? Well, I think, you know, one of the really often missed claims is around uh, medical expenses. And here we have a lot of changes pretty much every year. So, for example, this year, couples who've been undergoing reproductive therapies they can claim medical expenses whether or not there was a medical reason for fertility treatments. And in fact, they can claim all the way back to 2008 if uh, they incurred those expenses but didn't claim them before. But common things are hearing aids and batteries for your hearing aids, glasses and contact lenses, for example. There's a whole list of devices, uh, treatments that uh, you can pay for. Naturopaths, for example, um, those treatments can be deductible even Blue Cross treatments. So it pays to sort of check through your files from last year and this year because medical expenses can also be claimed in the best 12-month period ending in the tax year. Okay. Evelyn Jacks, thanks so much. My pleasure. That was tax educator Evelyn Jacks, founder of the online wealth management tool, Knowledge Bureau. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, Zoomers who volunteer want to let you know... The rewards are huge. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Canadian Blood Services is proud to honor you as Canada's oldest ever blood dog. God bless you all. Oh, I'm so grateful. 95-year-old Beatrice Janik was surrounded by family and media as she received this special honor and rolled up her sleeve to donate more blood, as she has done regularly for the last 70 years. She's one of nearly 13 million Canadians who donate their time and service to help others. And like Beatrice, they know the rewards are huge. I spoke with Paula Spivak, president of Volunteer Canada. We're very lucky here in Canada that Statistics Canada does track um, giving, volunteering, and participating. And in 2010, there were 47% of Canadians 15 and over volunteered for 13.3 million Canadians. And then in 2013, it dropped to 44% with 12.7 million. Now, that's still an enormous number. Nevertheless, we don't want to be complacent and just say that it's a blip. So there's a couple of reasons we're thinking that there may have been a drop. The first thing is for us to remember that the survey only tracks currently formal volunteering through organizations. And as we know, with the do-it-yourself movement, technology, and uh, just people's ability to make things happen outside of organizations, um, it could be that while formal volunteering is starting to drop, the informal volunteering 
organic movements and mobilizing people on your own um, is really rising quite a bit. So what's really neat is that when you look at, you know, the latest survey in 2013, that people 65 and over represented 28% of all volunteers but they contributed 40% of all the hours. And overall, in 2010, there were about 2 billion volunteer hours and the same thing in 2013. So the number of hours certainly hasn't changed. People volunteer, and of course, in all kinds of areas, whether it's arts and culture and and environment and human rights and so on. So the contributions volunteers make are to all sectors. We actually released a paper done by the Conference Board of Canada that estimated the contribution to society to be $56 billion in uh, volunteer contributions. What's also amazing is that the value, and that's the theme for National Volunteer Week this year, and when we're looking at celebrating the value of volunteering in building confidence, connections, and community, we're looking not only at the value of the volunteer time, but what is the value, for example, to um, somebody who volunteers when they increase their skills and get into a competitive educational program, or when an older adult is able to prevent social isolation by virtue of volunteering and staying connected to community, Um, not to mention all the brain health benefits we've read about in studies that um, people who volunteer experience increased health and so on. There have been studies that show that people who volunteer actually live longer. So I know that Baycrest has done some great um, research in this area and, and others certainly around the world that, as you said, people live longer. And one of the explanations is that there is what's called the helper's high. There are different chemicals released in our body when we feel we're in the right place at the right time making a difference and that that reduces stress and many stress-related illnesses. People of all backgrounds and of all education levels help others. And um, the informal volunteering and social networks of looking after each other's children and making food for one another and really connecting as a community, that happens across the board. Finding the right volunteer job, it's a lot like finding a job. How do you go about finding the right thing with the right fit? It starts with your values and what's important to you and combining that with your skills that you either want to develop or want to contribute and then coupling that with logistics because if something isn't easy, that can create a barrier. And there's some great tools available. Most volunteer centers, there are 220 volunteer centers around the country that have a way of helping people discover what it is that they have to contribute and what opportunities are available. Many have volunteer matching programs and databases connected to their website with quizzes and questions to prompt you to figure out what you're looking for. And one of the things that uh, we often suggest is that, like all situations, openness is important, but also being able to refer to good practices and guidelines. So there's some excellent resources on board governance and group dynamics and board dynamics that can be introduced. But in the end, it's like anything else. It's chemistry, it's personalities, and And I think we've all learned in life we're not going to change people's personalities, but creating the structure and the system for mitigating those um, is, is the best way to go. Do you see any new 
trends in volunteering? Because many people are looking for both meaning and impact, but also are in situations where they may not want to be committing um, for a long-term basis. Many organizations, instead of using the term volunteer position, are talking about volunteer assignments, and they're aware of opportunities they have to do short-term, you know, review a human resource manual or to work on a, you know, a project or special event. So, so that's one trend that I think is very positive to go along with the importance of ongoing relationship-oriented volunteering. Another trend is what's known as surge volunteering, which is when there's a disaster and, you know, there's a surge of people interested in volunteering. The challenge sometimes is how do you organize people who haven't already been through some kind of screening and training and and really deploy people. So I think that's something that as communities we're trying to get our heads around, how do we do that? And then on an ongoing basis, if that motivates people to step forward, you know, have a willingness to help, are there things that are needed year-round on an ongoing basis in our communities that people aren't aware of, and those same people who come forward in, in disasters may be willing to help, and that will make, in the end, our communities more resilient. Okay. Paula Spivak, thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. That was Paula Spivak, President of Volunteer Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up... Rocker Peter Frampton shows us the way to celebrate a birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Fans of the Roaring Twenties will want to head to New London, Connecticut. Spirited Prohibition in America is on now at the Lyman Allen Art Museum, recalling the days of bootlegger Al Capone and teetotaler Carrie Nation. Two Renaissance masterpieces have gone on display at the New Orleans Museum of Art. It's just the third time St. Jerome in the Wilderness and St. Agatha visited in prison have been displayed together. In Limerick, the 38th Eva International, Ireland's Art Biennial, is underway. 65 artists are displaying their work across five venues. And 65 Impressionist masterpieces from the Musée d'Orsay in Paris are now on display at the Art Gallery of South Australia in Adelaide. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. 1970s rocker Peter Frampton is celebrating a birthday this weekend. Born April 22, 1950, Frampton's love of music began at a young age, and by the time he was 12, he was playing guitar in a school band. One of his schoolmates was David Bowie, and the two spent many lunch hours together sharing their love of music and covering Buddy Holly songs. Frampton played with a few bands before branching out on his own in the early 70s, But his music didn't gain commercial success until 1976 with his live album, Frampton Comes Alive. It spent over 10 weeks in the number one spot on the Billboard charts and has since gone on to sell over 11 million copies worldwide. From that iconic album, here's Peter Frampton with Show Me The Way. I wonder how you're feeling There's ringing in my ears 
That was Peter Frampton with Show Me the Way. Frampton is celebrating his 68th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.